Ladies and gentlemen, trans and non-binary punks of all ages and denominations, welcome back to another episode of Not Just a Phase. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for being here on this crazy planet we call Earth. We're online at notjustaphase.net, and on Instagram at notjustaphaseworldwide. Occasionally, we treat some nonsense at NJAP Worldwide as well, and now you can find us on TikTok at notjustaphaseworldwide also. What we're doing there, I'm not sure, but it was my idea, and I will be figuring that out, I promise you. Today, we're incredibly excited to be joined by our next guest. You may know him as a member of the enigmatic and borderline mythic Circle Takes the Square, or for his unique and powerful art that has graced the covers of albums from legendary acts like Sage Francis, Junius, and Kailessa, as well as the art for his own band. It's also possible you follow his land stewardship project with his family, where they teach classes and sell all forms of handcrafted and carefully cultivated goods in their new world haberdashery. Please welcome me and join, or please join me in welcoming Drew Spezial. Drew, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Hello, yeah. listeners, all the punks out there. Yeah, all the punks worldwide. Awesome. Love it. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, so for the listeners who may not know, would you mind uh, stating your name and uh, your musical project? Yeah, I'm Drew Speziali. Um, I play guitar and sing in a project currently called Drawn Bow. Um, I have spent many years uh, writing songs and performing, um, playing guitar and singing and screaming with Circle Takes a Square as well. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> This is Drew Speziali. You're listening to Not Just a Phase podcast. This track is Patchwork Neurology by Circle Takes the Square. That sense is more in memory. 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 That sense is
All right. Very cool. So, you know, as a podcast, we always like to kind of check in and see, do you, do you have like podcasts that you like to listen to in your free time? Um, yeah, I listen to podcasts, uh, occasionally, usually when I'm doing tedious work, um, like washing microgreens flats or chocolate molds. Currently yeah. that's, that's my listening time. Okay. Um, so I'm most of the time I listen to music lately. I have to say, okay. though, you know, it comes in cycles where sometimes I limit my music listening a little bit and I'm mm. more into information rich material. Um, but as far as podcasts go, let me think lately. Um, a lot of stuff about uh, herbalism, plant lore. Um, like mm -hmm. you mentioned, we're, we have a, a, a land project here, which is like a regenerative farm. Um, that's what I've been spending uh, most of my creative energy and physical energy on over the last decade or so. Um, so things along those lines, you know, educational sort of deep dives into ecosystem restoration kinds of approaches um yeah i that's guess really that's you know yeah so okay i'll be specific uh, that would be good there's yeah. a couple let me think so the recently i really like there's this uh anarchist rapper um named soul have oh, you ever sorry. heard of soul before i don't think i have no soul soul was part of anticon in fact i think he started it oh. which was like a hip-hop um in the early 2000s maybe even late 90s um, but anyway, so he's released, you know, he's an extremely prolific MC and I love his, his music, but he also, he's like a permaculturist and a homesteader and he has a podcast about plant propagation, which is like growing plants from seed or, you know, like various, various, like very, a little bit on the nerd, uh, spectrum of, uh, <laughs> plant kind of stuff, you know, like growing plants out. So and his that podcast I listen to frequently. That one is called um, "Propaganda by the Seed," so that's a good one. If anybody's into gardening, homesteading, and stuff like that, but also kind of like from an anarchist perspective or whatever, it's it's great. That sounds really so, sick. That's a great name too. It's a, yes, it's very punny. Well, he's a, he's a rapper. Yeah, you know? that's right. Was he, he found it? Was he? Um, what's that group? Was it Y that was like one of like the core members or the core groups from like Anticon back in the day? Yeah. Why? Why was part of Cloud Dead? Mm. Um, and he was he was one of the rappers in Cloud Dead. Him and uh, Dose okay. Dose One. And then Why has a solo career now. Um, his stuff mm. is really cool, actually. Very pretty diverse, and his live performances are awesome. Um, but yeah, but Soul started it and was part of Deep Puddle Dynamics. I mean, we're just, we could talk about hip hop for a long time, so I'll stop after this. But Deep Puddle Dynamics was like the the fledgling album by that collective and then they all sort of did like various collaborations and and solo work as well so it's i mean that's a fun rabbit hole the the anicon um you know uh legacy i guess yeah you'd say. yeah, there, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we, we will circle back to hip-hop don't you worry awesome yeah let's do it uh but first i mean can we get into so like we always like really are curious about how every you know everyone kind of gets into punk rock and like underground music and i'm sure you've mentioned it in the past before but like for our listeners now like what what was like the first kind of can you can you like walk us through a little bit of like that first like era of like you getting into punk or like underground music or playing shows or just going to shows yeah definitely um so 
I grew up in Northern Virginia, um, which is where I, I live now. I live um, on the Western slope of the Blue Ridge Mountains, um, very near the Shenandoah River, when the Shenandoah watershed. Um, and I've, I've come full circle in where I live. I grew up very near here actually. Uh, and it's in proximity to DC and Richmond. Um, and those were the two places that, you know, my friends and I would travel to go to shows most of the time. Um, but even before that, when we were first getting into punk, um, somehow the discord uh, thing was like pervasive, you know, we were familiar with it to some extent. I mean, obviously it was into like, alternative music initially and stuff like that. But then once we started getting into more underground music, I think we got the year and seven inches and there's, there's, you know, the um, other, the early discord records. Cause it, it, my friend's brother had a big record collection was into indie and underground stuff. So, so we got into that and then we found out that Fugazi was playing mm -hmm. um, in DC and we got my friend's mom to take us to a Fugazi show. I think this was in 94 it was on the mall in dc very iconic footage oh, of that awesome. exists with the yeah i think they did it annually actually they might have done a series of shows there free shows on the mall um so that was like one of my really early live show experiences was seeing fugazi there um and you know i have to say at the time we liked minor threat more yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was a little bit a, a little bit headier than I think what we were ready for. Um, but it certainly infiltrated my, my psyche and, and I've, you know, come back to Fugazi. I revisit their entire discography every couple years and just dig in, you know, and just like, it's such a well of um, amazing material and such a beautifully creative, um artistic trajectory that they've uh documented through their work you know um yeah so yeah it has a profound meaning to me and it's pretty cool that i feel like my my musical journey into the underground for sure sort of started with something that i didn't quite understand but it was witnessing fugazi but yeah so oh anyway from there i got into crust punk <laughs> yeah you know Dystopia, right maybe yeah but so super into crust and um you know eventually like the more metal tinged um darker music started to kind of permeate uh, what we were listening to um yeah and and then I, I guess we started playing music too uh me and a group of friends i was in various bands that started off kind of pop punkish or whatever you know okay that that kind of thing I mean, we wouldn't just jump into playing crust but then eventually yeah. a couple got a little gnarlier um as our tastes evolved so yeah uh we played shows in the area so in northern virginia um the guys who went on to be in page 99 um played a lot of shows at like youth centers and stuff. So we started mm. jumping on those shows uh, with those bands early, like pre-majority rule, pre-page 99, um, a band called Nitpick, which was the proto page 99 band. Um, 
and a band called uh, Slow Children at Play that featured members of Majority Rule eventually. Uh, yeah, so my band, so yeah, it was a sort of a little local scene. It wasn't quite DC. It was in the sprawl in Northern Virginia. Um, right. And all, you know, a lot of those, those folks were involved in, in the local music around here. So that's, so yeah, that's kind, of, kind of the origin. Yeah. I mean, that's the early days. So yeah, like I said, exploring crust and um, more metal underground music. That was kind of my, my, um, that was my thing, you know, bands like anti-schism, mm. um, sort of like political, you know, those nineties political crusty punk bands. Yeah. Like Os Rotten or something. Yeah. I liked Os Rotten for sure. The profane existence label out of, um, Minnesota was always pretty, you know, I liked their catalog. Um, but then I, I mean, my real favorite, uh, kind of stuff was coming out of the East Bay. Um, there was a label if I can remember, uh, called East Bay Menace that put mm. out some really awesome records. There was a band called Ojo Rojo with a female vocalist that I loved. It was very, just like very dark and um, it had an aesthetic that I think I carried into uh, Circle um, to some extent, you know, it's sort of yeah. a through line. Those kind of like that, that, emotional that psychological intensity um in some of that material so the stuff that was a little headier a little less like blatantly i think socially political a little mm. more psychological that was always what i ended up gravitating toward um in in that in that kind of crustier uh punk world so yeah and then i moved to savannah georgia um i went to to college there and I moved there in uh, 99, the fall of 1999, uh, to start school. And that's where Circle started. Yeah, that's where you met, um, like, uh, uh, Kathy Stubelek and um, I believe it was our, Andy? Our original drummer was uh, Jay Wynn. Mm. Um, and Colin Kelly was our other guitar player when we first started out. So... Yeah. I mean, do you want me to get into the origins of Circle Takes a Square? Because it's sort of like the next chapter. So, yeah. So, like I said, playing yeah, in go for it. traveling to shows in, in Northern Virginia, traveling to D.C. to Richmond um, and just sort of, yeah, taking taking everything in that was going on at that time. And and I remember, oh, OK, significant to maybe the genre that you guys focus on a lot. Um, obviously, like kind of scream out on that facet of hardcore. I remember when that started to uh, present, like become a something that I was aware of. It came onto my radar in the late, I guess, '98 or so. Mm -hmm. uh, feels like when it, here in Northern Virginia, when I started to, uh, I guess, get exposed to bands that were like I couldn't, I wasn't identifying genre and stuff really at that time. Right, um, I'm really bad at that personally, uh, you know, to be honest, but. But like his hero is gone mm. was a band, and then some of these. I guess it was more of the hardcore world that wasn't. I, I was just really again like kind of tried and true with the punk thing and like in the crust, and I didn't right. really real. I didn't, wasn't like good at making distinctions. But those bands started to get on my radar, and I saw Orchid. Um, oh wow! In, in DC, yeah, I'd never heard of them, and they opened for. I want to say it was a Pig Destroyer show, maybe that my friend and I went to uh, at a university in DC. 
Orchid played. And that was, it was significant to me. I mean, it sounds cliche to say that maybe, but I, I remember being blown away and like walking back to the Met, to the Metro, which is the public transit that my friend and I took to get there and talking to my friend, like, I think he picked up the demo. It was a demo. It was when they had a demo tape. Um, okay. That's sick. It had like an Edward Gorey drawing on the, on the cover of the tape. And we, I was just, we were, I remember literally like trying to, to hum the melodic elements of what we do, of what they played, which sounds really weird, but it was like, you know, it's pre-internet. We knew there was no way right. to this thing till we got home and i was just like trying to maintain what it felt like in my head it sounded so unique and it's those octaves you know that octave chord driven stuff but it was really i had never i guess i hadn't really ever heard anything arranged in that way up up until that point where melody was like such a driving force in something that was also incredibly brutal and, and it's, yeah you know so that was like significant for sure and um yeah anyway i moved to savannah and then just, yeah, ended up with this really, like, uh, ama- you know, incredible, this group of incredible musicians that were also very eclectic in their influences. So Kathy, I think she's done some podcasts, and I'm sure has mm. talked about, you know, what world she came out of um, in terms of, like, her, the fat, you know, the, the uh, particular types of punk and stuff she was into. And then Jay, our drummer, who was amazing, um was he was a northeastern guy and he knew, he was into hardcore and like you know what is specifically hardcore like he was into converge and dangerous right. and stuff like that and i didn't know anything about that music at all so it was kind of it was just this like clash of influences and stuff so but we found some common ground i guess <laughs> yeah actually i mean that tracks and that's what it kind of always sounded like in the music too. And I guess, you know, I never really thought about it, but you guys were kind of like around and forming around the time when like Orchid was big, Seisha was like wrapping up, like you and I, like a lot of these really like big name acts, right? And like what we have now like decided to like kind of house in like a very loose fitting basket of like what we call Screamo was like all kind yeah. of happening. That's crazy. I actually had never, I I had no idea that you'd actually seen Orchid before. That's so cool. Yeah. 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 The first time I heard the, the phrase, the term screamo was outside page 99 had just done their first tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were playing, there was a local, like a youth center, um, in, uh, in Purcellville. It's a really small town around here. And my bands had played that a lot and stuff like that. So I went to the page 99 show and it was probably like this first or second, it was probably, Sorry, second or third time I saw Page 99, I think. Okay. But in the parking lot, I was talking to the singer of Big Destroyer, JR. Um, and he was like, yeah, we played with this screamo band <laughs> up north. And he might have been talking about Orchid. Right. Um, they, they did a split. But anyway, and I was like, screamo, that's hilarious. Like, and, <laughs> you know, that was the first time I heard that word. So, And then, you know, no one, I, we didn't really refer to stuff as that at the time. Right. Um, but, that have become now like really you know uh associated with that genre or whatever but but it kind of it's that's more of like getting out of the fog of war and reflecting back on it it's been assigned that name more prominently but i think at the time it just felt like to me again i was always viewing things from the lens of like punk you know right. i'm just like just sort of lumped everything into that basket and i think there was like a mutual inspiration from bands that were sort of our peers at that time to just mm. push ourselves into like new creative 
uh, territory with music. And that was the path. I always thought of it as just expressive and artistic. Um, not, not ever, with Circle in particular, it was never writing to a genre um, or anything. You know, we didn't have like a genre in mind that we felt like we were attempting to uh, kind of stick to or, or whatever, you know. So, yeah. but yeah, carrying on. Yeah, so this, but a lot of those bands were definitely at their peak um, in that time. And I'm sure that we encountered a lot of them. Um, and uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, we, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think the most iconic ones were or that that we, I mean, we, you know, we played some shows, City of Caterpillar, Majority Rule, Page 99, um, did a East Coast tour with, uh, I think both Majority Rule and Page 99, definitely Page 99. I can't remember if Majority Rule was on that too. I think they were. Um, just a handful of shows in the Southeast. Yeah. But that's, anyway. That's yeah. awesome. Carry on. Ask me some questions. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I could seriously listen to these stories all day. Like, that's incredible. I mean, it's like that. That's kind of a lot of the formative time of what we draw now in a lot of ways. You know, like all, all of the scene that kind of happens now is largely informed by what happened during that era. I mean, there's a lot of like 90s um, like emo and now point screamo and like stuff from the 80s that gets like referenced in a lot of ways but really like a lot of contemporary acts pull from what what we all heard like then and it is very much like i mean now like we call it screamo right but it is definitely all rooted in punk like when i was going to shows like not that i stopped but like i you know like when i was younger and getting into the scene like the bands also were like hey we it's punk music you know like everyone i talked to was like it's punk music but we all online it was screamo but when you're in the scene we're in the punk scene like that's just what it is okay. i like it yeah yeah yes agreed agreed yeah, yeah it was never we weren't over analyzing what we were doing at all um you know not to say that not to say that like identifying genres is over analyzing something but we just weren't really reflect we weren't that self-reflective you know right. when it came to like what niche we occupied in the ecosystem of of diy music or underground music you know i was like no i don't know we're just playing we we're just stoked to play shows and yeah. um you know book tours and stuff and and play shows with our friends or or acquaintances so i mean yeah yeah that's what it's all about and so that actually kind of brings me to my next question like how does the like i mean obviously like you know you all like start playing music and you, you have already kind of had this like kind of tethered or relationship established with page 99 like how like what kind of was the forming of the split coming because document 13 is like a pretty legendary split in my opinion okay yeah um so yeah that was just so the natural extension of of um my relationship with those guys from growing up around around here you know i mean we yeah the, those yeah <laughs> i mean like we were all kids in this area going to the same shows in dc or traveling to richmond absorbing this whatever touring bands would kind of make it out here you know we me and my friends and the guys from sterling which is the page 99 crew and um our future page 99 crew we're all just sort of absorbing the same influences trade you know listening mm -hmm. to each other's records and so yeah so anyway but that yeah by extension then when i moved i kept in touch with them and we ended up getting on some shows with them as circle started they were already established so you know we kind of cross-pollinated a bit and then 
it just felt like a logical thing to put out a split seven inch at, at some point. Yeah. And Paul is Paul from perpetual motion machine that did that record, mm -hmm. I think. And sometimes back then with the splits, it was like la sometimes labels would reach out and be like, Hey, would you, uh, would you want to do a seven inch or a split? With that was kind of the, you know, I feel like yeah. I, I remember fielding some ideas like that. And so it was just sort of a, probably a collaborative concept between the label and page and, and us. So yeah, yeah. I found an email. <laughs> I found an email from Chris from page 99 to me that where we were like talking about the concept of the artwork for that. Yeah. I can't, I had a, I have a printed email of that, that I came across like a couple <laughs> years ago, digging through all my stuff. I was reading it. And it was hilarious. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. It's funny. Yeah. What's this? yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go no, I got nothing. Go for <laughs> it. Uh, like what's the story behind the name? Like pyramids and cloth. Is that like a, is that like an inside joke or is that like a theme that you guys kind of, <laughs> <laughs> is it, um no well that was the title so i wanted to do we wanted the circle part side of it and the page 99 part of it to have equal weight right so i was like well we'll name so i thought it'd be cool to be like let's do it document 13 but give that document a title and then the title part was the circle side or mm. it was like the circle contribution so pyramids and cloth yeah i mean in hindsight i think that and it's not that's i like that you think of that as, as potentially humorous. That's cool. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I probably thought it was sort of poetic or whatever, but it's about ephemerality. Doesn't that seems like a recurring theme in things that I'm exploring lyrically. So, you know, pyramids, but mm. in cloth. So they're very susceptible to the, uh, to the environmental, whatever, you know, mishap. <laughs> think of, yeah. You know, yeah, you get it. You know yeah, I mean, I, I see it there. I mean, you know, one of the songs is called "Where." I mean, you remember obviously, but uh, for those of you who may not know, one of the songs is called "We're Sustained by the Corpse of a Fallen Constellation," which is definitely yes. like a really like visceral, like something died to live kind of feeling exactly. too. Which is to you, you know, you can kind of hear it in mummies, right? Like I know that everyone was really now not so much, but I don't know if you remember there was a time where people were just obsessed with Egypt. Like we went through like one of those like cultural zeitgeist cycles where everyone was like super into like ancient egypt things and like whitewashing it a bit of course but like you know yeah. mummies and like crypts and tombs and all that stuff and um yeah. not to say that this was that but like understanding that life cycle of like there is an afterlife and like there is preservation in that that's what i always kind of got from it but you know also like who wouldn't want to stand on a stage and scream to impale impaling impaled all night you know yeah that's all awesome. sure. How does it feel to do something like that? That's always been a trip to me. Is like some of some of the stuff you get to like emote live. Like, do you have any like favorite lyrics that you like when you get to that part live? You're like, ah, shit, this is awesome. <laughs> um, I'd have to think about that. Let me let me put that on the back burner and see if there's anything that comes to mind as we. Of course, as we, we can we can always circle back. Um, I'm glad it resonates. Uh, yeah, with, yeah, with that. <laughs> um, awesome. so, Egypt thing. I kid i went through an egypt phase you yeah, know okay. it's definitely yeah it's, it's it's an attractive thing when you're a kid for some reason you know but um yeah i don't know yeah carry on yeah no Before i mean else. you know history there's like kind of like this mystique this like refined reality at least like what they kind of sell to kids like especially in the 90s i don't know if you remember those old like scholastic book fairs yeah and, like they had like a lot of books on like egyptology and like 
you know, just learning about pantheons and all that stuff. Like they used to always really push like Greek mythology, ancient Egypt mythology, like all that stuff. That stuff's really interesting when you're a kid because you're just like, what? Non-Abrahamic non religions. What's that? Like, I know. And those were, it was always very, you know, yeah. I mean, it is amazing. And then for some reason, and I think it, the implication is you, you could, ex well, there's not, for some, whatever reason, we weren't really, um, bear with me while I try to get, articulate. I'm changing topics. No, but no, no, let's do know, it. This, this continent, North America, has some of the largest pyramidal structures um, in the world <laughs> um, by surface area. Mm -hmm. So actually, you know, in North America, there's an incredibly rich history of like, these metropolitan centers that are also pyramid based, um, you know, just throughout like the Southeast and into the Midwest and stuff. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. And then of course down in uh, Mesoamerica, there's some uh, massive uh, pyramids and stuff there as well. So ancient cultures were doing that here too. Um, right. North America. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. So there's one in uh, outside of St. Louis called Cahokia. Have you ever heard of that before? I don't think I have. You're you're in California, right? Yes. Um, and where where in California are? So I'm in like the Orange County area. This would be like uh, Tongva, like Atchajemin land. So, oh, okay. Uh, more like valley, like ocean. Um, yeah. Like okay. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. The awesome. Yeah. In in the definitely in the Midwest, there was like a lot of cultural um, uh, like centers, uh, like almost like city centers you know and um mm -hmm. and there's still you can go and visit these mounds the ones in outside of st louis called cahokia are incredible it's like a it's a it's a whole um it's like a cityscape with all these temples throughout and uh it's pretty mind-blowing it's right it, you know it's in everybody's backyard um and it's here <laughs> it's like anyway it's accessible and right. so you know, it's fascinating that like that was not a part of history that was really emphasized, you know, mm. to us as something that we could actually go and explore. Right. And 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 immerse ourselves in yeah. on this on this land base. But I mean, how do you how do you teach that, right? How do you teach that these like incredible cultures like had these incredible structures and then they were just eradicated just because they were here like how do you yeah. how do you teach that history class you know they don't they, they can't teach it so raises yeah. too many questions which makes sense yeah. and uh you know i'm sure you know if you're out there and you were thinking that he was going to talk about the bass pro shop pyramid this is a different thing you know like, what's I mean, the bass pyramid oh like uh you know like the bass pro shops they have like massive pyramid outlet stores oh really no, yeah it's it's a very odd thing. I don't know what the origin of that is, but they have like huge like pyramids that are like they're massive like multi-level stores where you can go buy like hunting, fishing gear, like all that stuff. But they're shaped like pyramids. They're shaped like pyramids. I've never seen that. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Me either. Well, I've never heard of these like you know these uh, Native American like indigenous like structures that existed either. Like I had no idea. Yeah, it's on, on the East Coast, it's easy to make trips if you're into, you know, you can do short trips and mm -hmm. you can hit like multiple mounds in like, you know, a couple day trip. Um, we do that pretty regularly. Last 
two years ago, we went um, for the second time out to um, Ohio. There's a site there called Serpent Mound. Hmm. And it's it's an earthwork. It's a serpent-shaped earthwork that aligns with all the celestial events throughout the year. So right around this time, two years ago, we went and we saw the sun set on the summer solstice over um, the Western facing. It's like, it actually, it's the mouth, the open mouth of the serpent um, is where the sun descends right over the, the mound. It's incredible. The alignment is, is the most elegant thing I've ever seen. That's so sick. This is a, yeah, you said it was Ohio? It's in Ohio. Yeah. Just yeah. If anyone's interested in that, you can look up Serpent Mount. I can't remember what the town nearby is, is called, but um, it was like a day trip. Oh, well, it was, you know, a couple, we took it a couple days. Right. Uh, to do it. But, but on the way, you can also go to Moundsville, which is in West Virginia. There's an incredible mound there. The most people, a lot of the going, it's the Adena culture. Um, it was like a late era, um woodland i think is the woodland era it could be wrong on this so don't you know i'm sorry i'm not up on this right now it's not fresh in my mind but um it's like a mound building culture and moundsville west virginia has a really prominent structure there um that's pretty amazing so yeah and then even driving through like indiana we were just pulling off and going to like, there's science. We're like, Oh, here's another mound complex. And we're like, cool. Go to that one. And in Ohio, it's all on the Ohio river is all these mm. are all these like uh, celestial aligned mound complexes. So yeah, they're all over. I mean, it's pretty amazing. And uh, th- yeah, I mean, sorry, let's, we can talk about if you want to bring it back, but, but uh, people should look that up because it's very likely that there's some um, remnant earthwork structure, you know, with some either like definitely cultural and potentially spiritual significance in proximity to, to where you live, you know, and it's right. definitely, definitely worth investigating that, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. I it mean, grounds yeah. place. It's, you know, I think there's, there's something to be said for like trying to be, to remain open to what the spirituality of, of the, of the land that you live on or near, um, what that inherent spirituality is, you mm. know, or what that, that legacy of, of, um, of yeah, that, that legacy of spirituality. I, I think it's, it's around. We need to look into that. Yeah, no, I believe that. And, you know, you know, to circle back, like, um, in your lyrics, like, um, well, historically, like, you know, from maybe a bit in as the roots and do like through decompositions and now withdrawn bow, like I feel like the there is that theme of like the land of the record in a way, you know, like the land kind of keeps the score of everything that's happened. And it, it does feel very tied into spirituality. And I know you've used like in your in your lyrics and like in some of your like visual work, there's does seem to feel like there's components of like indigenous spirituality. Like does that is that something you kind of grew up with or like something you naturally gravitated towards or was there just something you saw or read that was like a, I need to know everything about this kind of deal um it, yeah it's not something that I grew up with um you know I think when I was first moved to Savannah just the the power of that place um 
really uh, be, it, it, it's a that's a very magical city and mm -hmm. it's a city that has layer upon layer like strata of historical use you know that's all it's yeah. all very visible um and it's i don't know there was something about i feel like it was it really amplified um some of my creative intentions or it helped to to um influence sort of that those interests maybe mm -hmm. to some extent so early on you know while that's yeah like that's a I feel like just the power of a of place is definitely um, a theme. Maybe, yeah. yeah, I can see I can see what you're talking about. But then, but then further, as I moved when I moved to Northern Virginia, when I moved back here to the Blue Ridge, um, it's pretty it's humbling to think of like just moving to a piece of land, the path that my life has taken because of the influence of the landscape that I live on. Um, and that's been, yeah. So that's been the path that I've, that I've walked, you know, since we moved here, mm -hmm. um, just immersing myself into the regional ecology and learning that learning who are the plant inhabitants of this land and learning a lot of the historical use of the lands that we, that we live on and also in the region as well. And so I think that from probably decompositions on, you know, that's been the, the actual, like nature um, attempting to be a voice for it, a human voice mm. uh, or for certain natural dynamics um, was, is, has kind of been a preoccupation uh, for me lyrically. And, and the, and in my the environment that I live in, that I interact with, that I um, am attempting to restore, um, and that we are uh, creating some agricultural production from, right. uh, is is a heavy influence on what I'm trying to express artistically now, for sure. So, yeah, it has an undeniable influence, and I think yeah, yeah as and do was very much a Savannah record in my in my mind, all my associations are from places and feelings. Right. And, and, um, all the, yeah, all the preoccupations that I had at that time. Um, it was really about creativity. I think, I mean, I don't want to, I, I'm not, it's not fresh in my mind. So I would hesitate to try to, um, uh, to try to define, you know, from, yeah. from this, vantage point what it is and its significance but my associations with it are that it was really about the struggle with creativity and mm. art and it was very culture oriented i think yeah and, it, and that dark history uh, in savannah that was you could is very tangible when you're in that city uh was kind of in you know was revealing itself through, through that work as well and then you know as yeah in a, in a way yeah um, and then Positions, I feel, yeah, a little more about the natural world. Mm. That actually, when you kind of laid it out a bit like that, like that definitely makes a lot of sense because there's definitely a lot of decompositions that feels, you know, despite still being a circle takes a square album and leaning in like other realms of the genre, it definitely feels like kind of more, it feels like more like it's breathing, like the earth is, you know, 
and like has like this like kind of like natural like oxygen to it where like as the roots undo feels very um it feels very like driven by like this like kind of mystic dark thing like because it's like the this journey of karma right and like um like a soul's kind of movement through different parts of the world or at least that's what it always kind of sounded like to me and i know that there's um there's like different parts that reference what feel like local culture like i think there's um like spirituals during like one segment of like one of the songs even that you guys reference right like that yeah. um that definitely feels tied into a lot of like the rough history of the south and you know there are other i'm sure that's like so savannah's always felt like a magical city to me just because i knew you guys were from there and i know the scene over there at the time was like you guys and then i know you guys played with like kailessa and i think baroness was from i don't know if they were from georgia particularly but i know that like that was kind of like the scene over yeah, there, right? Started, yeah i'm pretty sure they started playing as baroness there i think they were friends and played in a band previously or whatever so mm. but they were definitely they ended up there and then definitely started there you know the yeah i mean the, that's where they sort of launched that version of what they were doing and right but everything to say like there's this like kind of heavy dark cultural history in savannah that seems to inform the music in a lot of ways i mean you know shout out holy ghost tabernacle choir uh we interviewed them a few episodes ago i don't know if you heard them but they're also from savannah and they are also very um very much about putting the city on but also talking talking about the history of it in a lot of ways okay. um they're cool. very cool so like that city it just seems to kind of come back and i guess the scene's kind of coming back over there a little bit too um you know with them and like other artists <laughs> yeah no it's certainly yeah if you're open to it in any way like the more of the metaphysics um that it's a very intense mm. <laughs> place you know and uh and and beautiful and um yeah i guess you know i think historically very problematic and i that that uh that tension seems to be continuing on in a new in a new way as well because i've been you know my my partner uh is from there my partner Caden, and mm. she grew up in savannah so we, she has family there so we go back occasionally and mm. how it has changed since i left is um is it's changed drastically you know it doesn't feel like the same city at all yeah but but this the core of it is still there and it's yeah it's, it's an interesting i mean yeah it's, a, it's an amazing place because it's so the there's so many um the the full spectrum of weight you know is there the, the light and the darkness are very present yeah 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 which makes sense that um decompositions would be kind of like its own entity in like the discography right and so i you know when i was listening to uh, visions like I've, I've been listening to it a lot lately like I, I've, I've really been enjoying it by the way you really captured something super cool on this record um it felt like there was I mean you know feel free to like rebuff me on this but like the last song on decompositions North Star Inverted I think it threw a lot of people for a loop right because you start with like this kind of there's like this soft acoustic melody that like kind of happens in it too and so kind of like that type of um that type of like song structure and composition felt like maybe like kind of the beginning of what Drombo would wind up being. Is this like idea of more ambient, like more acoustic, like you kind of singing and doing like field recording? Was that something that you 
maybe would have incorporated more into Circle Takes a Square, like if like you you guys had continued on, or is this something like where Drombo was just like because it's your project and your thing, this was something you were kind of saving for um, something that would have been like more of a solo work. Yeah, I um, I think back when Circle was active, I. At the, by the end of like us being active, probably 2015 or so, um, decomposition had been out for a couple of years. We were still touring. Mm -hmm. um, I think I remember wanting to venture more into that sort of like an acoustic, um, at least experiment more with that form, you know, slightly more traditional. Um, uh, instrumentation maybe or what, whatever just going in that direction a little more I don't know how to describe that direction but you know what I'm saying right. so but but also being aware that's like there might be no reason to like <laughs> do a left turn for people who have expectations about what circle it was you know right. or it, whatever at that time um so I remember being conscious of like I'd, I'd like to explore more of that but like is that really it just felt kind of impolite or something to like <laughs> push for that direction, that directional shift, you know, with when we'd already established like a lot of momentum with the aesthetic that we were probably associated with, you know? Well, I mean, we always pushed ourselves into new territory. I think in maybe in more, they seem drastic. Some of the choices that we made structurally and, and stylistically felt drastic to me. Like, as we were writing them and as we were figuring out how to do different dynamics within right. that band. But, um, but they probably were pretty subtle, you know, stylistic shifts throughout like one full record or whatever. Besides that, besides North Star, I think that one was a lot, was obviously really kind of a, a big turn um, stylistically in that record. But, but yeah. Um, so I just, yeah, I do remember making that just, decision i was sort of like thinking yeah there's probably no reason to like just do like a full acoustic record with circle or whatever but then circle went into some dormancy you know and um mm -hmm. and now yeah i've always played i wrote north star i was the i think at that time it was the first song that i completely wrote on my own mm. and i did a garage band demo while we were working on decompositions um the the, the other material there i did a a very like a pretty elaborate garage band demo of North Star and um, did all the vocals and stuff as well. And and I wasn't sure if it should be for Circle or not, you know, but it was right. just sort of like that I because like with with all the other material, it would be trial and error, um, bringing, you know, ch chunks of music in and playing with Caleb, our, our drummer, um, right. playing with him a lot and really hashing, hashing things out and then going and then taking some time out from playing together and just like reflecting on the material change, like kind of changing things, tweaking things, and then coming back in with new versions of it. And that was the kind of trial and error, a very vernacular approach to completing a song, you know, is what we were kind of doing. So it was, mm -hmm. it was weird for me to have, be able to kind of like complete a, a song, like on my own. Right. Fully formed. Um, and then, and then, uh, David, our guitar player on decompositions, um, our other guitar player was like, this should be for circle. He was pretty adamant about it. Yeah. So yeah. So I was like, okay, if he has a strong opinion, we'll do it. Right. Um, 
So I wasn't totally confident that that was going to be like an appropriate thing. But anyway, I think that is sort of my default net, like from then on, you know, um, and when Serpent went into dormancy, it's music, although I haven't put out any music publicly, you know, uh, in a long time. Right. Um, release, um, music's become like a really personal and it's an it's an active part of my my life and my lifestyle but it's just has taken a, a turn into being a more personal exploration you know and um yeah. and yeah i'm really playing acoustic guitar and coming up with songs or song fragments um here and i i have entertained the idea over the years of doing a solo project um or some kind of or even collaborative project but more based on acoustic material and um when my friend david sam david from circle Things square in 2020 um he him and his wife were were moving to this area and they needed a place to stay for a little while mm-hmm. and he has a lot of recording gear um and so he had a storage unit nearby where he had all his his gear and he was like hey we could set up in your studio i have a studio space here and um so we went and you know, unloaded the storage unit into my garage, above my garage space here. And I just started tinkering. He showed me some of the basics um, for, with his, with all his recording um, gadgetry, which was very foreign to me. Uh, but yeah, I just started tinkering with, with, sound, with capturing sounds and started to lay out what became visions at that time. So it was because I had access, you know, to some, right. And like the freedom to really experiment um, that I was able to kind of stitch everything together and, and dig mm-hmm. in. And then as it started to, to develop, um, I sent a working version to my friend Joe, uh, who's ingenious, who, who ended up, you know, mastering this record. Yeah. Um, I sent the working version to him again. I was like on the fence about, it was just a personal exploration really up until that point. Right. And he was, he was really convincing and encouraging and, and said, you, you should complete this and like, put it out, you should do it. <laughs> so, um, so I did.
you know over the last few years i've been working on a, like a vocal approach that that I, trying to find something that feels genuine um that feels authentic it feel that that is you know that that i don't like that i don't like uh yeah it, it's just finding a natural approach to vocals um mm. because i spent a long time working on a screaming vocal approach right. you know what I mean? <laughs> with circle so and and while circle like vocals are were always really dynamic, um, it was a little bit uncomfortable to say, well, like take away all this, take away any of that like that full climax intensity, you know, of the scream. What are you left with? And like, yeah, it's a personal challenge to cultivate like a way to make that this the the central the the yeah like the main crux of what the how the lyrics will be um mm. conveyed so yeah. that's what i feel like i've been working on that sort of just 
along the way it's taken a while for me to feel more confident with that you know with that approach so yeah yeah sure i mean i was actually going to ask like how how it was writing for something like circle and then coming to you know what you have now and like how that kind of figures into your approach so like there's a mention of the field recording kind of aspect of it was that something that was that like a realm of like because you know field recording is like actually kind of its own big subgenre in a lot of ways was that something that you had like prior knowledge of that you get, got like had been into or was this like kind of a new world that you were exploring i've been uh well i like i have enjoyed music where field recordings are incorporated for sure but i've just been accumulating recordings i like to record um not yeah natural events here things Hmm. um that are occurring on the landscape <laughs> and so i have a collection of sounds things that are that compel me um in a in a music that are inspiring from a musical perspective but that are just like natural sounds you know things that are occurring um here in the wild um and then also sometimes i record sounds when i when there's like a um when there's a significant event if i'm somewhere and there's a a soundscape unfolding all like to mm. and that's just on my phone you know that's when i'll just record stuff on my phone in that in that context but um right yes yeah, so a collection of these things and then sort of the way i always approach music even the circle it's like an elaborative uh, or an elaborate sorry an elaborate collage you know it's like uh stitching together um either song fragments or lyrical ideas um, or sounds that intuitively feel related and then ironing out those transitions. Mm -hmm. Once I like the flow of something, um, then I'll work on making it more of a linear narrative or making things flow in a more cohesive way. If I know sort of the, the pieces of the puzzle and how they fit together right um, same approach with drawn bow so the field recordings were just pieces of that puzzle um that i sort of stitched in in yeah where it felt appropriate um and then kind of the narrative unfolded from there the lyrical kind of elements so very cool and, um, you know, like the artwork feels really distinct because you have like this, such a, this like really unique and like wonderful art style that like we mentioned in the beginning that you've like worked with like Junius and like bands like Golas and, um, you know, like been featured on like St. Francis's art. Um, like what do you have like a specific process that you went through for the drawn bow artwork or was it something that you kind of already been working on? Um, the fun thing for me about drawn bow is that I am able to, there, there's a lot of freedom so far. I mean, it's a new venture, right. but I'm excited about the kind of freedom and flexibility. And in that there's no, it, there's no, um, it's a clean slate. So like building a world from scratch is really fun. Mm -hmm. And I think that my default art style is actually like when I'm just doing something that doesn't, that doesn't matter very much you know what i mean if i'm not like not like working on a print or an album or album art or whatever um if i was just doing some graphic element for our business or just stuff that's kind of more you know um content related or fat you know faster kind of 
whatever. Um, I have like a distinct style and I'm kind of excited to just merge that more into Drombo. I have the intention of making Drombo a more, um, uh, being slightly more prolific than I was with Circle and not um, projecting like the weight of, of having to, uh, like with Circle, it felt like I, everything had to be very iconic, use that word, mm. you know, whatever. I was really attempting to make this very timeless and iconic series of work. Um, with Drombo, I feel like it can, I, I have a sense of urgency more with it, and I'm excited to just have things be a little bit quicker and looser and yeah. expressive, you know? So the, but also I think in the inspiration is like very much from this land. Um, and so that's a photograph. The, the cover art is a photograph of our, um, the stream here, which is a headwater stream for the Shenandoah. And there's an amazing, there's a 500 million year old rock structure oh. um, that we can walk to here. It's a ridge that sticks out. And then there's a series of pools that, this, that the Houseville branch, the headwater stream flows through. And so that's a, a day that we went when there was an, a beautiful ice formation on the on those um, those those uh, pools. Um, so I took a photograph of that and then just you know did some little bit of design magic to yeah. <laughs> to work it out. And then I added some illustrative elements, the vulture circling vultures in the pool reflected in the pools. My illustrative component there. Yeah, and, you know. I, Oh, have ended up doing a lot of like graphic design, I guess you would call it, like having to do um, text for a lot of the album art and various things and, mm -hmm. and currently for my business. So just the visions, what like uh, um, text was just through some experimentation. And I just sort of liked how, you know, I liked how that balanced the imagery. So I went with it. Yeah, I mean, it looks really cool, and it does feel very, uh, very like organic, very open and breathy. Because, like, you know, in the in the same way that Circles stuff was like, um, you know, like iconic covers, as you had said, and it is iconic work. The art feels very, um, it feels very dense and urgent in its own way, which kind of matched a lot of what the music was. So I can see how this kind of has more of like a open air kind of like easy, not like easy breezy. Because that's yep. not really what I would specifically use to describe the album cover, but you know, no, it does feel yeah. that way. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm trying to honor that um, element of you know my my artistic <laughs> tendencies. I think because hmm. yeah, it's that's in there too. Whereas yeah, a lot of the work I've done previously is really um, is really labored and takes a lot of time. You know, <laughs> so. Yeah. It's and this is my current existence. Um, yeah, doesn't really allow for you know that kind of immersion. To you know, to be honest, I have a lot of things going on, so it's like I'm I'm excited to like uh, cultivate a process that's a little more immediate, you know, because it's yeah. reflective of what's happening in my life. Like I need some quicker results. So anyway, having yeah. a uh, more of a, like having a home recording setup suits my lifestyle and learning how to use it to get results that I'm like 
comfortable with, you know, right. um, is, is a game changer <laughs> for me for sure. Yeah. So I believe yeah. that. And, you know, just to kind of like touch back on that, like, could you, what, would you mind telling us a little bit about how life is on the immortal mount and like, you know, talking about your business a little bit more? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So I've lived here for about 14 years. Um, we have a woodland uh, property that's surrounded by it's like an oak hickory forest. Um, so we're very much in the woods. It's really not agricultural land right. at, at all. Um, and it's so it's very marginal land. Um, and we have a, we have four acres currently that are under our care. Mm -hmm. um, and so over the years, uh, like I said, I've been immersed in the ecology of these eastern temperate forests and learning um, all the components of the ecosystem here. And um, I've gotten into like permaculture, which is essentially examining like the natural um, energy flows and dynamics of an ecosystem and applying those dynamics as a template to whatever kind of um, system you want to design. It's a design approach, really. Right. Um, but it's usually applied to agricultural systems, farms, homesteads, or even garden scale, you mm -hmm. know? Um, so I've gotten into that and looking into uh, the bigger picture of like attempting to help bring more diversity and resilience to a damaged the damaged e ecosystem here i mean the blue ridge mountain range has been clear cut i think th up to three times yeah. over the last you know few hundred years so it's not a balance there's not like a, an equilibrium in the in the ecology here at all and it's it, everything's really in flux and this there's just insane soil loss and there's a lot of um, native habitat loss as well wow. because of development. So the bigger picture goal um, is just to start to restore the landscape that we live on here um, by cultivating more diversity and building soil with some right. of our agricultural some of our agricultural practices. And while we do that, we're teaching a lot of those techniques to people in the community as well. So we do workshops on things that are both agriculturally productive, but also inherently um, stabilizing and healing for the land. So like we do a mushroom cultivation workshop every year where we talk about the role of, uh, of fungi in mm -hmm. the ecosystem. And they have like a, an incredibly regenerative role in the soil. And they're also the unsung stewards of woodland of wooded um, landscapes. They they take care of trees. The yeah. the mycelium is like a network of distribution that brings nutrients and water to select trees and herbaceous species. It's pretty amazing. So we teach that. And we emphasize restorative function of of um, of fungi um, during that, and and also we you know demonstrate we have a so part of our what we're doing as an income stream off of our off of our land here is growing um, shiitake mushrooms on oak bolts uh, oak, yeah. on woodcut you know oak um, and so we get to demonstrate you know what that shiitake farming is like um, so that's pretty cool and then uh, another aspect of 
Oh, and we do, you know, we do like regenerative ag and permaculture workshops as well. For anyone who's managing like anything up to like a farm scale to more of a, like a smaller homestead scale, or even just for um, very basic use in a garden, there's lots of amazing design um, uh, considerations that you can take to, uh, to help restore your watershed or ecosystem just in your garden on a small, very small scale. So, um, so yeah, so that's Immortal Mountain. That's the big picture. Mm-hmm. And then how we kind of cash flow that that's a passion project, all the ag stuff and all the eco- ecology, but we cash flow that mostly through a, our heirloom chocolate company. So yeah. I mean, um, we source, uh, wildcrafted heirloom cacao. Um, currently we're getting it from an amazing cooperative in Ecuador. Um, and it's, so it's, it's actually from, there's a cooperative of land owners there who, uh, go and they, they're not farming cacao, but they'll actually on their intact, um, uh, like forests they they can go and in the understory harvest um wild chocolate so they're yeah it's in line with our agricultural practices here unfortunately we can't grow cacao here not yet (laughs) who knows yeah i mean you know the way the climate's shifting (laughs) yeah we're going more arid here though so i don't Mm. see it becoming a rainforest anytime soon we're getting we had our first rain here in weeks just now i'm celebrating for sure but um but yeah uh anyway so we like to support you know farmers who are where we outsource material for our chocolate business we support farms or anyone who's kind of like it's in line with what we would be doing as well with from a regenerative standpoint um anyway amazing cacao we get that and then we'll infuse herbs that we grow here on our small farm medicinal herbs and and things that are considered superfoods um and they're sweetened with raw organic honey for for the most part we use made organic maple sugar in a couple as well so no refined not, nothing no refined sugar products like that so it's you know um pretty good it's great for you and it's delicious and fun and it's infused with all the mystical goodness that you would expect yeah. <laughs> crafted dark chocolate made at a mortal mountain to contain so so yeah we do all those things you can find out people can find out about that if they're interested at all immortalmountain.com and uh, has all the info for everything we're up to around here Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I mean, I've been following that project since kind of you started it and it's always looked so cool. And those classes look really fun too, actually. So. They've really, yeah, it's, it's my favorite aspect of what we're doing. Um, and we do a lot of events. We do a lot of local events uh, for throughout the summer, you know, and into winter mm-hmm. um, holiday markets and stuff like that as well, where we'll bring um, our chocolates and sell our, our mushrooms and microgreens and salad mixes and medicinal herbs and botanical products as well and stuff like that. But I love doing the workshops because you feel like every time there's like potentially a few more people are going to apply some aspect of what we're trying to emphasize with this restorative work. Um, right. And it's, it's, it feels good to prov- hope to catalyze some of that inspiration that we feel from the natural world here, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and that's actually, punk rock. 
it's super punk i feel like it's just for us it's just it's the natural extension of you know doing doing shows or like organizing basement shows or whatever it's like yeah. it's it's the same it's just the same it's just a slightly different application in my in, to, to me that's how it it feels you know so oh, yeah absolutely i mean it, you know you're bringing people to you and there's like this kind of even in shows like there's like an exchange of information and attention right like absolutely it's, yep feels very similar in that way but um and that's the that's more of a like a seedbed for artistic inspiration and this is like practical just in terms of environment and mm. um you know landscape sort of but but i feel like it's empowering i mean everything that we're involved with i feel like it's like what is our like i feel a lot of um you know concern for the world at large and sort of the path that we you know that we are on in terms of that humanity is on for sure yeah but this it operates within my personal and our family's sphere of influence you mm -hmm. know it feels like we within this context can make um some significant change and help to um help to kind of come up with some practical solutions for our immediate land and landscape and community as well so it it gives us a sense it's empowering to be involved in this kind of work yeah that's really yeah. awesome i mean it makes sense too you know the land the land itself has always been like powerful enough on its own and so to actually get to be cooperative with the land and then impart that wisdom like that's that that must feel like so cool yeah you know I, and like that's well said and i think that um in our the modern conservationist view is like and and i understand this perspective for sure and i think there's a lot of there is some some practical in, import to to this approach is like this sort of hands-off um hu humanity can do no good when it comes to interacting with nature you know mm. so we have this like idea that we should leave no trace and kind of avoid interaction just enjoy it from afar or enjoy it you know walk the trail <laughs> but don't involve yourself in in the dynamics that are unfolding around you but i have a, like a different sort of contentious view on that and i think that mm. it's the legacy of of humanity um is to be we are nature we're an extension of it and i think our involvement in, uh, uh, with it is what's sorely missing you know and we need to use yeah. our we need to certainly use our heads and try to be responsible but i think we can also you know tap into our what our hearts tell us too which is to get involved and experiment and nature is a really forgiving medium um it <laughs> it's really forgiving in a in a short term you know so we can make mistakes experimenting with um with land management you know, just do it on a small scale, do it in your backyard, experiment, throw seeds around, create habitat, create places where you can forage for food, you know, on a small scale, if you have influence in a certain area um, and just get it, just start to see, just start to engage with that process, you know, because it, yeah, it's like so easy to fall into that. Like, oh, I, I'm going to fuck it up. Like, I'm not going to do, yeah. I'm not gonna do anything better. But in my experience, I've made more, I've definitely made more mistakes. You would, you know, probably consider them more mistakes than 
than um, whatever the opposite of a mistake is, you know? Success. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I've had more, yeah, exactly. More failures than successes, but um, but the average is is remarkable. You know, I have this deep relationship with really all the plant, have, plant and animal inhabitants of this very small, a few acres here. I mean, it's big, but it's, but anyway, um, yeah. I mean, it's small on a, from a farm perspective for sure. But, uh, but yeah, it's a forgiving medium. I think, I think it's calling to us to involve ourselves in it, you know, and to be, yeah, to, yeah that's, that's my thought. And I mean, I mean not in this land, Turtle Island, North America, as it's known now is <laughs> really like a, a, a living legacy of human interaction on a broad scale. The reason that the composite, the composition of tree species in the eastern temperate forests here um, exists is because those were, I mean, most likely um, a result of like indigenous land management and um, selection and plant breeding and these horticultural um, cultures, you know, that were trading seeds and planting and selecting and managing forests and open lands. Um, California for sure, you know, oh, absolutely. Uh, those, the oak species that you have there were the mm. primary food source for so many cultures out there. And, um, and out here too, it's like the native fruit and nuts that still exist in our landscape are really abundant. And that I suspect that that's not an accident. You know, these are agroforestry systems that we live in, but they're, they're failing because humans haven't been involved in them in an active way for a, for a long time. So, yeah, I mean, that, that totally tracks. And that is, that's a really beautiful sentiment. The idea of nature as a forgiving medium. And so the work that you're doing out there and the work you're bringing to people, and hopefully if you're listening, you'll definitely go look into this project and just general ways that you can actually affect change in your local ecosystem because. Beautiful. Yeah. There's lots of, and I'll just say, and just to reinforce that, I love that. And um, or, but please go like, go to a local farmer's market or go to go somewhere where you can tap into maybe a farm or, you know, a forest farm or anything in your people in your community who are doing this kind of work and go try to go help them if you're interested, because you might not people out there, you know, may not have access to land to do these, to do this kind of experimentation on, mm -hmm. but you would be surprised people who do have that land in a lot of cases would love to have help and they love to have people who are interested to talk to about it, you know, and I bet they have some amazing ideas based on your hyper local ecology. So just tap and try. It's hard. I know in this day and age, sometimes it's hard to have real, real world connections with people, but, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's a lot of people out there that would love help and they would love um, to get to engage with people around the projects that they're doing to this, you know, land stewardship. So just keep your ear to the ground if you're interested in that stuff um, in your local area. Yeah. Yeah. Just backing you up on that. I love yeah. That. Thank you. I mean, you know, I'm sure that there's, I'm sure that people feel like people feel like it's a lot more work than it might maybe actually is. I mean, I, I we're spoiled for choice in Southern California with like any number of things. And this is, there's definitely like <laughs> local food collectives and there's actually, I just found that there's like a, the university of California supports like an ancillary, like organic and local farm co-op, like in a town near me. So like it, it, it may not be exactly that, but it could be something yeah, else. Yeah. Like all you got to do is look. 
just yeah exactly that's a that's a great approach and like yeah it's it's whatever amount of work you want to put into it you can do this stuff you can do i mean honestly you can engage with permaculture on your on a on a windowsill i mean you really don't need land to just start working with with plants you know if that's an interest of yours or just start growing medicinal herbs and experimenting with that i mean yeah again forgiving medium you can do it at any scale you can commit to any amount of time and obligation to it so yeah or just go for a hike just go to a park (laughs) establish a relationship with a tree near you because there are trees you know or a weed growing out of a crack in the sidewalk somewhere there's a way to connect to nature everywhere um so yeah hammocks are twenty dollars you can get them at your I, local army surplus store you can get the rope ones you don't gotta you don't gotta peg into the tree for that the rope will do you just hang out under a tree for like two hours trust me it'll it'll be awesome, awesome. it will yeah open up to it it's a beautiful thing um okay i'm gonna sorry i'm gonna drag us back to the music side of things so that thank you for espousing on all that that was wonderful um, thanks for asking it's like it's that's where my heart and soul are in, in this moment you know so of course yeah definitely and i mean you know anyone who hasn't please try to try some of that cacao. Um, it's, it's super good. <laughs> awesome, man. Um, but you know, I know that, so you're super plugged into like your local culture for like the regenerative land work that you do. Like, it, are you, are you tangentially tied to like the music scene locally there at all? Or like, are there bands that you know from over there that like, you're like, Hey, maybe more people should listen to you guys. Like something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a kind of, there's a lot of uh, music going on. Um, it's not necessarily a style that I've been super excited about. You know, personally, I mean, I appreciate mm-hmm. all music and and everything. But um, there's a big like like there's a kind of a like a bluegrass and like very traditional kind of music scene in this oh, area. Cool. We're a little rural here, yeah. Um, and so that's kind of going on, but I've never quite. And I'm not saying it doesn't exist. Of course, I have no idea. But right. I've just not across any flyers for shows or anything that would indicate that there's like yeah a kind of diy or punk culture too much you know around here i'm in pretty small it's a it's i'm on the outskirts of a pretty small town so i figured it was kind of a long shot but i just want you never know right but that said just i have met some amazing musicians who are Mm. around here i'd love to give a shout out to my friend shelby smoke um who his project is called bleeder and he's it's indie you know and he's like a mm. 90s chapel hill guy okay um, this was like it's totally like tangential to what my interests have been musically or it's coming from more of a punk thing we're like just a few degrees you know like divergent in our tastes and stuff but right but i've learned a lot from him he he lives near very near me so i met him just not in a musical context at all but then we've become great friends and um, and he's just incredibly prolific. His project's called Bleeder. Okay. Um, and people can check it out. I know a lot of people are really into like 90s, um, like more, like kind of synth or like Brit pop and like shoegaze. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of fusing all that stuff together. That's like what he's into. So, so it kind of sounds like to me, and I'm not really, I'm not all up on all this stuff, but it's like almost like Jesus and Mary Chain and like My Bloody Valentine kind of vibes. Okay. Very combined. Cool. A lot of those things yeah he's awesome i played on one of his records i played guitar i've i've collaborated with him 
for his project over the years and done some live performances with him. And oh, very um, cool. yeah. And I've learned a lot uh, from the, on the production side of things from him as well. Cause he's really prolific and, and records all his own stuff. So I'm on one of his records and I'm drawing a blank on the title, but it's a couple records back of his, I play guitar on there. I did. So I got, got into my best Nels Klein mode and just do like <laughs> textural, kinds of explorations and he was like yeah that's great go with that that's so, the one <laughs> a lot of fun yeah it was fun okay so, but yeah so he's cool and then yeah i don't know otherwise like i'm sure there's great stuff going on that is just not on my radar at this time so you know fair enough is there well okay let me ask this then was there a band from back in the day when like circle was touring or like from your early days in savannah you know from that era like that really blew you away that you were like why aren't these guys huge or like why aren't they bigger or anything like that okay yeah i don't know if a oh man i'm thinking of like so that orchid moment was amazing you know in terms but then obviously they they picked up some, some steam you'd say yeah um, you could say <laughs> that yes yeah um another one that a band that i saw I, it wasn't like i didn't think oh why aren't they huge or anything i didn't even have any sense of that at the time it was just like a local band right. but there was a band target for aggression from richmond this was just another one of these revelatory musical moments that i had i think they went on to be in i think one of their members went on to be in flashbulb memory have you ever heard of that band i don't think i have Okay, that might be one for you guys, for you and your 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 niche. Um, like yeah, I bet some folks have heard of them. But flashbulb memory. I'm pretty sure it was like maybe their target for aggression's bass player or something like that. Anyway, I saw them at this like totally random show, like a golden corral or something weird. <laughs> you know, like my friend Timmy was like, dude, you gotta come check this show out or whatever. So I was like, okay. Right. When like so awesome again it was like it wasn't that kind of like crust punk um thing that i was like really into and so it like came at me from it, it hit me in a different way and i was mm. really like whoa that's so cool there's a lot of potential it was like a more melodic thing i don't know i had the tape i think um for a while so i wouldn't even know what it sounds like now you know i'd probably be able to like understand it more but at the time we're just like whoa that's just awesome i loved it so yeah it was just like a weird they were a richmond band okay um, but this stuff doesn't really answer your question to be honest i don't know i don't know how people are really how bands are perceived or <laughs> i mean that's a that's a pretty good answer i think i've never heard of this band i'm sure that maybe there there may be some people who have or there may be some people yeah. who haven't so i think that any anything that gives people a new direction to go in musically and branch out is like always always a good answer so Flashful like, memory and target progression, right? Yeah, and I feel like those bands, they must have also continued to be like enrichment bands, you know, mm. probably. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming, yeah. Because we encountered some of those guys through the years. Like, I remember playing in, playing a circle show at a house at a house in Richmond and like the guitar player from, from Target for Aggression was there. I think his name was Duncan. But, uh, and I was like, oh, sweet. Like it had a, you know, was like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that dude's here. So, yeah, anyway. That's really yeah. sick. Um, so, I was curious too, like, um, do you have like a favorite tour memory or like a favorite show that you had played like in your career? I've like, it's such a crazy hodgepodge of, 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 of moments. And, you know, so to, mm -hmm. to narrow that down is really challenging. But I will say, I have, um, I had a moment during we played fluff fest 
uh, in Czech Republic. Um, I think that was 2012, mm. maybe, or 2013. Okay, I don't okay. know. My memory of stuff is really bad. I no worries. Specifics are not there, but um, yeah, it was around then. And do you know Fluff Fest? Right, yeah, probably. I think that they're doing their. I think this is going to be their final year. Okay, it's it was amazing. I mean, for sure, it's an incredible event. Um, mm-hmm. And playing, we played there. It was probably I, that is literally the farthest I've ever been away from home. Yeah, being in that exact location on the, you know, in this world. Um, so the distance. It was an interesting feeling of being like on this frontier edge of my life experience you know and we yeah. played during the sunset the sun was setting during our set and we we're playing enter by the narrow gates just as the sun was like was like you know like descending onto the horizon oh man and we're looking out i could literally see the horizon from the stage and like the sun disappearing into that and playing um yeah, it felt like I was I was having de- like deja vu while I was playing, and it was this really incredible out of body moment. I was literally like, felt like I'd done it before, and felt like I was observing it from a distance. So it was like this really um, transcendent moment that was powerful for me personally. That sounds yeah. so sick. I'm I'm really grateful to have had that experience. It felt like mm-hmm. the music and the context and the energy of all the amazing people who traveled to be there, everything really um, heightened my perception in that moment. You know, it was really, it was cool. Yeah, so that was a good one. But just, the, you know, all the people that we engaged with, I mean, yeah we were an active band for i want to say about 15 years or so so it's so many connections and inspirations from other creative people and uh people doing great work you know beyond just music Mm -hmm. um in their communities and it was really my education doing like being involved in circle and being involved in punk and making art um over the years my education as a human you know yeah, and so I value that beyond so so many other things. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, so I mentioned it earlier. So we're gonna we're circling back to it. Let's talk a little bit about some hip hop. Like, you can, I mean, like you know, you've worked with Sage Francis, but like I know that he's probably one of your favorite artists. But if you could give like our listeners like a list of like must listen to albums from your lens, like do you have do you have something like that ready, or do you need a little time? um for, like in hip-hop like you're talking about hip-hop yeah yeah like any just, you know like hip-hop albums that really like resonate record, you were talking about soul earlier so like records you want to recommend on, people soul's contentious you got to be aware of that but that's yeah. that happens right? so it's cool but like sure. definitely love some of the soul stuff for sure um and uh but i mean c- contemporary i mean doesn't have to be contemporary either. Just you know, maybe something that but, you think well, doesn't look, get the attention Billy, but it deserves. You don't. Are you into Billy Woods? I love Billy Woods. Have you heard of that before? Yes, History Will Absolve Me is an all-time classic album. If you have not listened to that album, listen to it, please. In like thirty years, yeah. they're gonna they're gonna wonder why we didn't appreciate Billy Woods more. 
guaranteed. I mean, it's, oh yeah, I think the appreciation is just about to happen. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, good. So I just want to start with something you know very in the moment. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, that stuff is amazing. Um, Other, I mean, what something that had a really big influence on on Circle uh, was definitely Cloud Dead, um, and then themselves was the was dose one that one of the two mcs in cloud dead and cloud dead was one of those they were on mush records but then they were anicon i'm pretty sure they have a release on anicon as well it's like they, mush was the original thing and then it, it, it evolved um but they they moved on to, to doing their own label with anicon or whatever um mm-hmm. and so that's something i mean it's, it kind of holds up the production is awesome i love the it's like ambient it's like really dirty ambient like production and it's and it's also it's like atmosphere it's very atmospheric and cool it's a, a really unique sounding did i lose you oh no um it's it gave me a okay. message that your bandwidth is low so i turned off the camera so it's like a little <laughs> bit less visual data okay i'm just looking at you right now maybe we can restore that in a minute yeah, yeah so those cloud cloud dead records are cool um just from a like historic you know it's worth digging in a little bit and maybe people will vibe with it, but the, I definitely love the production still. And then themselves as this producer gel and that flowed out of, um, out of cloud dead. There's a, that, that stuff is pretty cool. Um, lyrically and the style, the, the rap style is really unique. This guy dose one does that, but let me think. Um, those are always hard questions for me to answer. We toured oh. with B Dolan. He's a, really great uh mc and circle was blessed to do a tour with with him and his live band that he did a thing like that for a while it was really cool so awesome um he's on yeah you know beetle and he was on sage francis's label i don't know if he still is um Mm -hmm. but i think at the time um oh podcast you know there's a there's a podcast called i think it's called weird rap maybe weird rap Okay. That has I found it because of an interview with Dose One. That was really an, a, a cool conversation. Um, but then, yeah, so I've, I've caught on to a few things from there as well. Um, but I'm always, I don't know. I'm always searching. I can never like just generate answers on questions like that really that easily. But maybe that's some cool leads for people. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I definitely, I've, based off of what you, this conversation we've had, I'm definitely going to check out some Clouded. That's for sure. Awesome. Yeah, do it. Yeah. Um, cool. So, I I mean, I know you've probably seen it. I don't know how much you get out to shows outside of your local region, but, um, you know, like everyone's reuniting these days. Um, is there like a <laughs> band that you really, really wish would get back together that you haven't gotten to see? I never saw Silver Mount Zion. Oh, man. Uh, have, have you seen them? No, I wish. Do you like them? Oh, yeah. I love them. That would be a really cool show. Yeah, I just I've watched a lot of the live stuff on YouTube. And, um, you know, I just, I love that band. And then very recently from a product, from a production standpoint, have like reimmersed myself in their body of work. Mm. Their genius, like production is insane. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. The way they capture like raw sounds, but it doesn't sound, I don't know. They, they, they tow that line between like, this feels like it could have been done in a bedroom, but also it's got the polish of something that would have come out of like a studio you paid money for. It's, it's wild to me exactly dude i mean it they capture yeah the textural elements and how cleanly they're laid out in the stereo field 
is insane. That that band, it's like, yeah, that's master class level stuff right there. Especially like even like horses in the sky is one because you can really examine break you can break down all the components when you're listening very easily because of the way the arrangements mm-hmm. on that album. And uh it's amazing, it's incredible the production. So anyway, but, um that's just where my mind's been lately when I'm working with on um, the drumbo stuff, you know, it's like, whoa, this whole new element that I'd never really been that engaged with of like how are people making sounds translate you know when you listen so right. but yeah but i never saw them i, I would love to see that band play so that's yeah. probably the first thing that comes to mind yeah i remember okay. we played at san francisco circle played san francisco when it was really into silver mount zion at one point and they were playing across town uh, <laughs> yeah like, that show almost got canceled huh oh did it oh i meant like the circle show so you guys could go see us oh yeah. yeah 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 totally yeah 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 that was no instead i played it and i broke a rib oh <laughs> shit i slipped on a monitor oh no <laughs> what tour was, was that it was 2014 was that the uh, tour you guys were doing we, with caspian no it was the year before so oh. the year before we had a really extensive tour as well the caspian tour was really ex- extensive that was our last the last tour we did the caspian yeah. tour 2015 2014 mm-hmm. we did a full u.s tour as well and um played you know with we linked up with a few bands throughout north uh throughout the the route for a few days at a time i think we mm-hmm. did I think, was that calculator maybe yeah we did maybe loma prieta i mm-hmm. i don't remember if they played that san francisco show but they played with us on a few of those dates too yeah, yeah. uh i remember i saw you guys in pomona out here it was at a mexican restaurant i think and um yeah. 10,000 Leagues opened. Um, if you're listening and you haven't listened to 10,000 Leagues, please go do that. They were a fantastic local band from the LA area. But yeah, they opened and I think Calculator played too. That was a really cool show. I think Mono was playing down the street. Yeah, at the Fox Theater, I think. Or it may have been the Glass House. Yeah, yeah. I remember that show. Yeah, that was cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Dude, are you a big Mono fan? I mean, I would have gone to that. <laughs> Yeah, right. If I, had, if I had the option. Yeah, I know. Yeah. They just uh, they just did a huge U.S. tour for the anniversary of uh, For My Parents, which is like one of my favorite mono albums. And I just oh, I couldn't cool. go and I'm just kicking myself for it. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Um. So we have like some kind of fun, silly questions. You can skip them if you want. You don't have to answer them. But uh, we like to ask these as we kind of wind down. Um, so the first one is assuming you're not a pacifist. Right. Um, if you could punch anyone in the face as hard as you possibly could without any consequences, who would it be and why? <laughs> I I totally appreciate the spirit of this question. I will say, as a parent, um, I am we're attempting to, you know, set an example with our decisions and not of course <laughs> not necessarily condemn violence as a solution to something. So so I'm gonna I'm gonna flip this one on its head. I think okay. Um, how about okay if i could i'm gonna go with like an abstract concept because like what like i said i i certainly have been driven to this this point of rage i'm not gonna you know yeah so i can i can relate but i think i think the last time i felt like i would r- resort to a violent response to try to solve something um was when my family and i were visiting down down the road from here, it's a bit of a walk. 
but there's been a logging operation mm -hmm. going on now and again over the last like 12 years every yeah. few years they seem to revisit it and open up more and more spaces and take out more trees and stuff and and for a while we, we were visiting this place where we just referred to as the enchanted spot just up it's just a a vignette of just pure magic and wow. um and and it's so it's the, the same stream um that i took the picture of visions um from but that's a lower spot um in the flow of the stream this is a little further up upstream and uh and there's just like there's old stone walls um that are and there's some structure that kind of like it's a stone stacked stone that goes down into the stream for oh, some wow. reason i'm not sure what it was used for at the time and just beautiful trees and just this sense of um another a parallel reality there that you that's just out of our spectrum of perception you know yeah just a beautiful spot so and we visit there and just feel very charged and invigorated and inspired for over the years for you know for the last decade or so and um and interestingly it's it's right next to a very wooded a, a, a wooded spot so this is a bit of a clearing like a glade almost in the um in in the forest and then walking into the forest right next to that is a spot that has like an incredibly oppressive energy, a mm. really dark feeling energy. And it almost feels protective. Like it's like a protective energetic to keep this spot um, from being, uh, you know, from being visited or whatever. It's like, mm. feels like a wall of protection. So there's this really cool tension there and it's an interesting place. But anyway, yeah. we went there one day after hearing chainsaws for a few weeks and and seeing that, you know, the, all the trees that are being trucked out of here and stuff. And, and we were like, well, let's go check on the enchanted spot. <clears throat> and sure enough, there was a new logging trail down to the spot. And a lot of the trees that we loved were gone and all the, um, all the slash was just left in a pile. I mean, there's ways to do so-called responsible forestry, you know, yeah. but this was even outside of that spectrum. Um, it was just annihilation, you know, yeah. and, uh, it was really, that was, that, that shook me in a way that, yeah, where I think if I had the option in that, in just in that moment before right. greater reflection and trying to find the meaning in that, um, in that, uh, disruption or disturbance, uh, I probably would have, could have punched somebody in the face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> admit it. But, but, you know, the other thing, I mean, the, if I could abolish something or solve something by, by obliterating it, it would be like the myth of, um, of scarcity, because I think that's the root of so much uh, like oppressive, the oppressive tendencies or the controlling tendencies or the negative tendencies of, of, of humanity, you know, is like this sense of needing to protect something, some wealth or something that's like a scarce resource. Yeah. So the myth of scarcity, you know, I would punch that in the face too yeah. and i would do that though through the simple act of planting one seed this is how you can abolish the myth of scarcity in your mind by again using nature as a template to reflect on what's going on in your life but like you can take one seed one kernel of corn one tree seed definitely recommend people doing that one acorn take mm -hmm. an acorn or a hickory nut and plant that it's gonna sprout most likely as long as it, a weevil didn't eat 
the insides out of it already. But anyway, plant seed, that seed will grow into an organism that's going to produce hundreds, if not thousands of seeds. That exponential dynamic from one seed comes a thousand seeds. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. You know, and that's like, that's the, that's the uh, antidote to this concept of scarcity. That's just a construct. It's just a, a thought. It's a human construct. Yeah. You know? Man. So, yeah. Right. That's an incredible wanna... answer. No, that actually kind of rolled into one or two of the other questions that I had. Um, so, I mean, we can cut this out if you want, you don't have to answer this, but just for any, anyone who's listening or is tuning in for a second or for what, you know, a specific reason, that I was maybe going to ask this, like is Circle Takes the Square is currently done as a musical endeavor, correct? I'm going to call it a, a deep, a state of deep dormancy. Mm. Yeah, this time the seed analogy. But I don't like to close doors on things. You know, we spent a long time um, creating just for ourselves, for personally, a, a, a legacy, an artistic legacy. You know, I consider it that part of my art, my trajectory as a human in culture. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not closing the door on that. I think if inspiration with a proper, I mean, with Circle, it had to be a celestial event, an alignment, you know, <laughs> we'll have to summon the uh, awakening of that seed but I, okay. I i haven't ruled that out yeah okay let's put it but not, right. but don't don't get too excited right because as you know also circle is and pretty much everything i do is like is more of a geologic time frame than uh than our current cultural time frame which is immediate um so things take a long time. So mm -hmm. I don't, you know, so that bear bear in mind that that's also no, part of totally. I mean, no rush or anything. Whatever happens, happens. We, you know, cool, I, just, yeah. I know there are people no, who ask sometimes. So appreciate the question. I would just describe it as a deep dormancy, and you never know. Yeah. Okay. That. Yeah. Um. So then, what's next for Drawn Bow? Like, was this kind of something? I mean, it's the first work, so obviously, as you had just said, like you take time on your projects. Is this like, do you do you have physical releases? Like, are you planning to play live at any point? Like, is anything going on there? Yeah, I'm working on the live set right now. Oh, awesome! Um, and I have a show in August um, coming up, uh, and that's more details will be you know, our forthcoming on that. But I think um, fall is when I'm planning on more of a live um, kind of exploration of, of this material. This is a little premature, the August thing, but it's going to be fun. It was just a cool ex um, opportunity that mm -hmm. I've got to do. So um, as far as physical releases, the second half of this is a like a, a dual part um project visions so it's visions and visitations and once visitations is mixed and ready i want to do a physical release featuring both mm. um the the full content of that it's one it's one work really but so this was kind of a soft launch i wanted to honestly sort of test what it feels like to for my personally like emotionally and and, yeah. and everything like what it feels like to now engage with music in that more public 
way mm. after a lot of years of it being a, just a personal um, exploration for myself. So, so this was just kind of like a really low key way of, um, of releasing it, evaluating um, how that feels to me personally, to put stuff out that's inherently very personal. Um, and, and yeah, and then sort of like, I was just going to plan the next move accordingly, you know, but what's unfolding is live show um, early, early summer. And then I'm developing a bigger picture for that for fall and that potentially in conjunction with the release, I'm hoping at least for sure by winter, this coming winter for the, for the full album to be complete. So we'll sort of see how that goes, but mm-hmm. yeah, plans. Plans. Things, are, things are going yeah very cool well we're all very excited to hear it i'm sure um so do you well we can go ahead and wrap this up but before we go is there any like last shout outs you want to give or anything you'd like to plug or causes you want to speak on um this is your space to do so thank you um no i just want to say you know i appreciate uh, the work that you and and the Not Just a Phase crew are doing. I've gotten a lot of value out of uh, exploring some of your back catalog of, of episodes, for sure. And it's been cool. It's it's drawn my attention to some really awesome bands um, that I haven't heard of, of course. Like, so I'm super stoked on that. And um, yeah, I'm just grateful for the conversation. So thank you. Thanks for, for the opportunity to talk a little bit about my uh, creative past and and present oh drew thank you so much for taking this time to come on and speak with us and really just talk about anything and everything um we loved having you on and uh we wish you luck with all your future projects and we'll definitely keep an eye out for more drawn bow stuff awesome man keep in touch and tell tell your your crew i send my regards definitely awesome thanks all right thanks thank a lot. you